Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how debate can be good for brainstorms and a little rodent that can teach humans how to love. You'll also learn about the surprising things you can find in libraries with special guest and friend of the show, Alex Lent. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Research suggests you might be brainstorming wrong. If you've ever taken an improv class like I have, and like Ashley is going to... What? Then you've heard the phrase, yes and. That's the idea that you say yes to whatever idea you just heard, and then you build on it. Well, this idea also shows up in the business world in brainstorming sessions, where you may have learned that there's no such thing as a bad idea. Sound familiar? Well, after years of watching this advice cycle through businesses, both big and small, scientists have started to think it could use some revision. For more than 15 years, scientific research has actually shown that dissent, debate, and competing views can spur creativity, not hinder it. Positivity is great, but criticism might be too. Way back in 2004, researchers from UC Berkeley tested whether debate was good for creativity. The team conducted studies with groups in both the United States and France, and they asked groups of five to come up with ideas for how to reduce traffic congestion in San Francisco or Paris. Some groups were told to yes and each other and not criticize any ideas, and the other groups were specifically told to debate and criticize. A control group was just asked to come up with ideas with no additional instructions. The findings were pretty straightforward. In both countries, debate was better for brainstorming. As the researchers analyzed their findings, they saw that giving permission to debate and criticize had led to significantly more ideas than did problem-solving with no extra instructions. Not so for the yes-and groups. Both groups came up with roughly the same number of ideas during the session, but they were asked to write down additional ideas after the discussion, and the participants in the debate situation came up with more. Now, this research does not mean that willy-nilly arguing and spiteful comments are productive. Instead, critique should be used with care and discipline. Don't just say no. Say yes, but, and. Avoid phrases like, this doesn't work, or that's unclear. Instead, be specific. If you think an idea won't work, explain the problem clearly and then suggest an improvement. If you don't understand the idea, be precise about exactly what is confusing, and then suggest possible interpretations. And when your own ideas are criticized, tap into a growth mindset. Listen with curiosity to your colleagues' suggestions, and remember that your idea could be even more powerful when combined with someone else's perspective. Critique could end up being the highest form of creativity. This is something that I've really come around on in my years here at Curiosity, because in the past, sometimes people would suggest ideas for topics and stuff. And it's really easy to be like, no, no, that's I don't think that's interesting. But the funny thing is, there are so many interesting things out there and you just have to find out what the interesting nugget is. So just ask more questions about it until you get to the thing. Because if that person's suggesting something, there must be something good about it. So you just find the good thing that you don't see right away. No. <laughs> if you want a good relationship role model, look no further than the prairie vole. These adorable creatures don't just mate for life. They also have surprisingly egalitarian relationships, splitting parental duties and nest building tasks equally. It's easy to understand why there's such a popular test subject for scientists studying social behavior. 
And a 2013 study uncovered a clue as to why these mousy creatures are so faithful. The act of mating actually changes their genes. Scientists know that the neurotransmitters oxytocin and vasopressin are big drivers of pair bonding, both in humans and in voles. They also know that partnered prairie voles have higher levels of those chemicals than voles who have yet to mate. But if mating causes the release of these neurotransmitters, how does this kick into a higher gear for the rest of the animal's life? This question prompted a study published in the journal Nature in 2013. Researchers gathered voles who had been together for six hours but hadn't mated and injected some of the voles' brains with trichostatin A, or TSA. That's a drug that blocks an enzyme that usually prevents gene expression. They found that even though they hadn't mated and they'd only been together for a few hours, the voles treated with TSA formed pair bonds and, tellingly, had higher levels of oxytocin and vasopressin receptors. When they compared the brains of TSA-treated voles with the brains of voles who had mated, they found similar patterns. This told the researchers that mating actually changes the expression of genes that code for those neurotransmitters. Okay, so what does this mean for humans? Well, it suggests that once you're in love, your brain may be forever changed. If what's true of voles is true of humans, and that's an if, epigenetic changes take that cocktail of chemicals that flooded your brain when you fell in love and keep them going. Your sweetie may have changed your life, but they also may have changed your genes. Or your shirt. <laughs> if you haven't been to your local library lately, then you are missing out. And that's according to a guy who knows a thing or two about libraries. Alex Lent is the director of the Peabody Institute Library of Danvers in Massachusetts and founder and coordinator of the Library Directors Group. And he's fighting against the misconception that libraries are just places where you go to check out old books. Here's what he told us. Many people think that libraries are warehouses for books, that you only come here when you have to get a book for school and your, your teachers are forcing you to read three books over the summer. But really, libraries offer a lot more than books. We have movies, music, magazines, comics, toys, tools, games, musical instruments, science equipment. You know, two of the most popular items at my library are sewing machines and ukuleles. What? Yeah, it's, it's more than you think. Pretty much anything fits in at a library. We have American Girl dolls right now, and it makes a lot of sense because toys are expensive, kids grow out of them so quickly, uh, so it makes sense to borrow a toy from a library, bring it home, play with it, return it when you're done, and then check out something new. Libraries have always been about cost sharing because books are and were very expensive. So if you wanted to read more than a few in a year, you needed to team up with your friends and neighbors, pool your resources, and buy books and then share them among yourselves. Um, so libraries started out sort of about books, but really started out as a cost-sharing social service. And so we do have books, but we have a lot more than that. Um, we also offer thousands of events every year to people of all ages on a huge variety of topics. We do educational training. We do job searching. We have networking groups, support groups. We have all sorts of technology resources. So libraries are about much more than books. But at the same time, I always feel like, would it really be that bad if we were all about books? Books are awesome. You know, you can get a lot out of a book. But the name of the game for libraries really is identifying the needs of your individual community and then curating your organization so that it matches the needs of your community. Alex told us that here in the U.S., there are more public libraries than there are Starbucks coffee shops. Starbucks has about 14,000 locations, but there are about 16,000 public library buildings. And libraries are visited about 1.5 billion times each year, 
which is higher than the annual attendance of all Major League Baseball, Basketball, Football, and Hockey games combined. If you're not one of those library visitors, then what are you waiting for? The average American lives just a couple miles away from their nearest library and definitely worth the price of admission, which is free, by the way. That's why I said that. Again, Alex Lent is the director of the Peabody Institute Library of Danvers in Massachusetts, and you can find more from him in today's show notes. And definitely follow him on Twitter. He's fun on Twitter. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that you can brainstorm better by using the phrase, yes, but, and. And that the act of mating might literally change your genes. And that you can check out a lot of cool things at your local library, from sewing machines to ukuleles. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.